This podcast is part of the Podbelly Network. Please visit podbelly.com to see a complete listing of all of our other shows. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mix in just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries. Eh? Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Polly and their dog Ninja. Hey guys, just a friendly reminder that January 12th through the 18th, Hillbilly Horror Stories will be doing our Lifetime Patreon Membership Drive. You'll just go to our website, hillbillyhorrorstories.com. There will be a PayPal link to be able to donate $50. In exchange, we will give you a link that you will paste into whatever app you use to listen to podcasts and that will give you complete access to every episode that we've ever done which is over 500 episodes so far it will also get you two full monthly episodes that are only for patreon users it will get you 24 short episodes every single month as well as ad free versions of all the regular episodes that we put up throughout the week on the free feed After this donation, you will never have to spend another penny on any of the Patreon services offered as long as we're doing this show and we have no intentions on stopping anytime soon. If you're already a current Patreon subscriber, yes, you can stop your subscription and donate the $50 and receive the full benefits and be able to save yourself a couple of bucks throughout the year. This will also entitle you to lifetime 20% off discount on any and all merchandise. You just have to contact us first so we can make the changes in the system. Thank you guys so much for everything you do for us. We love you. We thank you. Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. Hey guys, welcome to Midweek Episode 9. I'm Jerry. Tracy. (laughs) (laughs) Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. I love you all. Yes, I love you too. Hope Santa Claus was good to you. Or, you know, mom and dad or whoever. <gasps> By your tongue. <laughs> All right, it's good episode tonight again. I'm I'm loving some of these interview setups we've got. And Angela Boley is who we have on tonight. And she's going to tell us a little bit. She came on the Patreon episode and talked about a haunted doll that she received from up in the around the Bel Air, Ohio area. And we've done the story before on the Bel Air house, which was a, a house that was supposedly possessed by demons. So it's a really good story. And she was telling me that there was all kinds of stuff in that area. It's not just that house. There's a bunch of stuff from true crime to demons to ghosts to whatever. So she comes on and tells us uh, a little bit about that, a little bit about the doll. Uh, so really cool. Very cool. Then we've got the fear of the week. Leslie's going to talk to us about the Mongolian death worm. <laughs> Sounds yummy. <laughs> yeah, put that in some tequila. Yeah, and suck it. But <laughs> what? It's Christmas. <laughs> Jesus. Sorry. <laughs> it Baby Jesus. Out. Anyways, so the story I've got for you tonight 
is more of a phenomenon. Don't do it. I might. I won't do it this time. (laughs) So this story is very confusing, to say the least. And I actually found some other cases of similar situations right after I started researching this one. This is going to be in BB, Arkansas, New Year's Day, 2011. I say New Year's Day, but theoretically, or realistically, it was like 30 minutes before that. It was like 1130 at night. 5,000 blackbirds fell from the sky dead. Oh, no, you town. lie. It was about 1130 that night, like oh. I said. People were um, started noticing that birds were pinging off their cars and their oh, rooftops of the house. And all of this happened in a mile and a half area that is the little town of BB. So to put this in perspective... This town only had 5,000 residents, and now each one of them had a dead bird per person. (laughs) Think about that. Well, at least they all got one. That's right. So the state sends out a helicopter to kind of fly over the area and try to see what might have caused this. Oddly enough, the birds only fell on this small town made up primarily of Catholics. So you could imagine... Did you say Catholics? I did. Catholics. That is not how you say it. It is how you say it. It's Catholics, not Catholics. Catholics. Oh, Lord have mercy. (laughs) I was a Catholic at one time. I can say that. Anyways, I mentioned this because locals immediately started saying that it was some kind of sign of the apocalypse. No kidding. This was also like... About a year before the Mayan calendar said that the um, uh, world was supposed to end. So all this was kind of fresh in the news anyway. This wasn't the only incident in the world, though, around this time that was happening. Around the same time, there were more birds. This time they were called jackdaws, and they fell from the sky in Sweden. The reports of mass fish and bird, um, I guess, just falling from the sky dead. Fish fell too? Well, fish didn't fall from the sky. There was just mass fish deaths. (laughs) But anyway, this started coming in from places such as Brazil, Thailand, and even Japan. So people were kind of putting the blame on everything from poison water to government conspiracies, wide range of stuff. Mm -hmm. But as far as the birds in Arkansas, it was first thought that this was right at new year's so they thought maybe well at first a new year a new way to celebrate no they thought that there was fireworks and, and maybe the, fireworks the birds killed got, them the birds flew too close to the fireworks oh so that was the initial thought but the timing was off of that because these birds fell at eleven thirty, and the fireworks didn't happen until midnight so oh that couldn't have been the case so then they started checking for pesticides or poisons to see maybe uh, because these birds are kind of like pests, so mm-hmm, to speak, mm-hmm. and they destroy a lot of crops and stuff like that. Oh, so they might have been trying to get rid of these birds, in a sense. Like the like the birds downtown that keep pooping everywhere? Right. Like that story? So it's possible that some farmers in the past have put poison out to kill the birds. Mm-hmm. But this was in January. Probably, you know, or it's last day of December. Not a lot of crops going on in December. 
It's in Arkansas, so Arkansas's got some warm weather, but not where they're growing crops year-round mm. for the most part, for the most part. So they checked that there was no sign of poison in their body. Now, there was trauma to their bodies where they had hit the ground mm. from the, the long drop. Well, that's sad. Yeah. So what's even more strange is a year later in the exact same city, it happened again. No, you got to be lying. Yeah. Scientists say that mass deaths like this are really not all that uncommon, not as uncommon as people would think. And they say birds can be affected by weather, such as uh, hail Mm -hmm. or hard winds or something like that. So say they're flying up a little higher in the sky and then a hailstorm hits or something like that. You Mm -hmm. know, they're kind of caught in the middle of it. Uh, Also, strong winds can affect it. They can also fly into skyscrapers because they're maybe it's foggy. See, part of the thing with these birds, these birds don't see well. They don't normally fly well, fly at nighttime. Mm-hmm. So that's what I were thinking that maybe the fireworks scared them. They yeah. took off flying and then started hitting stuff. But they were falling all over the place, and it wouldn't like a bunch of skyscrapers in BB Air, uh, uh, Arizona. Arizona. I mean Arkansas. So, so that really wasn't the case either. Seven years later, though. There is still no reason why the 5,000 birds fell in 2011 and even less reason why the birds fell in 2012. Now, Pennsylvania, 200 of these exact same birds. These are red-winged blackbirds. I've never actually seen one of these Mm -mm. in person, but they're actually kind of real pretty when you you look at them, you know, as far as uh, uh, the pictures from these, except for the fact they were on the ground convulsing and stuff. But other than that, they were pretty. Oh, 200 of these birds fell from the sky in 2016, right before Thanksgiving, in New Jersey. I think I might have said Pennsylvania a while ago. You did. I did, but I didn't mean to. It was the second time that it had happened in New Jersey in a month's time. <gasps> same birds, both times. The tests on these birds were the exact same as in Arkansas. There was trauma from hitting the ground, but there was no pesticides or anything found in the birds whatsoever. So there is no real scientific answer as to what happened in these specific cases i wonder who had to clean all them birds up the department of uh wildlife or whatever oh that at is least, so sad at, at least that's who did in uh, uh new jersey oh that is crazy i think when it starts raining frogs ain't that when we're supposed to freak out yeah frogs locusts yeah but not not about a bird no, and you know they had that situation in Kentucky years, 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 mm-hmm. years ago when the, like the the meat stuff was falling from the sky. Nobody really knew what it was. Meat. Yeah, it was like uh, almost like blubber or something like that was falling from the sky, and people were thinking that it was frogs that had blown up or something. I don't know. <laughs> oh but, my lord! I mean, this goes back to like the late eighteen hundreds. As a matter of fact, there's they've, they've got some samples of it in Transylvania. Oh my gosh, college. that is bizarre. Yeah, it's a really cool story. Aw, poor birdies. So, anyways, let's listen to author Leslie Fear and the Fear of the Week. You are listening to the Fear of the Week. Hey guys, welcome to this edition of the Fear of the Week with author Leslie Fear. You can pick up all of her books at Amazon.com. Leslie, you have been commissioned by a special request from me (laughs) to 
do this story only because I've heard so much of it. There, I've seen a thousand different shows talk about it, but I didn't research it a ton, and I thought it would be a perfect topic for you. You're going to tell us about the Mongolian death worm. Yes, I am. And uh, this is the craziest thing I think I've... I didn't even know about it until you brought it to my attention. I'll admit it. That's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know it was in the Gobi Desert? Located? That's where it's supposedly located? It's in Asia? People's Republic? I didn't know it was in the Gobi oh, Desert. okay, you did. All right. Well, that's that's a good start. All right. Well... Did you know it's a massive 500,000 square miles of desert? I did not. Yes. And you know, they did say this. Just like in the bottom of the ocean, we are still discovering things we never knew we even existed and, or still seem prehistoric or whatever, even the bottom of the ocean. So this could be something like that. You never know if this thing is real or not, right? The uh, Some of the natives right. think it is. Some of the tribe leaders think it is. The local shaman, the Gobi tribe le- leaders, they warn explorers not to disturb what they refer to as the demon of the desert or, de- or risk death. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? <laughs> I know. It's I mean, impressive. It's pretty, it's pretty bad. <laughs> now, they describe it as like this, like a fat worm that's like three feet long. with It's like dark red in color. And it has spike-like projections at both ends. And it stays hidden beneath the desert sands. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That does not sound like anything I want coming out of the sand looking at me. <laughs> 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 and people camp out there like in tents. So, no, I would not do that. And people do it for this specific research. I didn't know that either. Because think about it. I mean, this could, well, I'll tell you what they think it could be. Like I said, I don't want to ruin anybody's thoughts, and especially yours, Jerry, because I know you really want this thing to be real. (laughs) I would not. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, report. Go ahead. Go ahead. As I say, I am interested to see what you you dig up, so to speak, on this, because I have heard, and I don't have specifics, but I have heard a couple of things on... on, uh, on what it may be or may not be. So I'll be interested to see what you, you came up with. Okay. Well, the reports also claim that it can spit venom and even electrocute the victims. So I don't know if you've heard of any of that. No? I have not. Okay. Not the electrocution part. Okay. So what they think, uh, you know, some researchers really think and the experts or whatever you want to call experts that think that they know what they're talking about. I didn't get any names specifically. What they think, it can be like, it could actually be a form of snake, which obviously we all thought that. And I didn't realize, but I did watch a video. Did you know that snakes can actually spit venom? They can actually spit it out? Yes. Project it. I didn't even know that, which is crazy because we have property out in the north, north of here. And it's in Texas. And there is a rattlesnake den not far. So I'm going to have extra cautiousness when I walk up my driveway. Because <laughs> the baby rattlesnakes, they're the most venomous. I don't know if you know that. Because they don't, they don't unlatch um, quickly like the full-grown snakes. So they give you all their venom instead of just a little bit. That's why they're more deadly. Did you know that? I did not know okay, that. There you I go. mean, I knew they were the most deadly in the United States, but I didn't know why. But it's because they give you all their venom instead of just a little pink bite. 
So anyway, okay, back to the Mongolian death worm. Okay, so they think it could be a snake because they can spit venom. And also, it could also be like this luminous lizard because they can actually generate electricity as their scaly skin rubs against that sand. It's kind of like when you walk across carpet and you, you know, right. you're in rubber, rubber shoes and then you've got a pretty good little jolt, even, you know, just touching anything, even yourself, you know. They're thinking that could be what it is. Since, you know, there have been so many explorers, just like with Bigfoot, you know, I guess it's, is, would this be a cryptid? Would that be what it is? Uh, I would consider it a cryptid, yeah. Okay. Because just like with any cryptid, you know, Loch Ness Monster or anything, you know, people say, oh, I've seen it. This is what it looks like. It's red in color. It's got spikes on each end. You know, it it can bite. It can, you know, kill people. No one's actually, no one's taking a picture of it. You know, we're just going by hearsay. We're going by legend. We're going by what shaman think, and they're all sacrificing to the gods. So we don't know what it is. And like I said at the beginning of the show, there's all kinds of things we still don't know exist out there. So it could be. But honestly, I think it's the silliest thing I've ever seen or heard of. <laughs> <laughs> I really do. I, some of the reports that I've read said that it could be, and like I said, I don't have specifics as to what type, but there are some lizards that would semi-fit the description that if embellished over the years could create it into something a little more, you know, I guess silly mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. to use your your terminology. You know, maybe it doesn't quite do everything that it said, but you know, there's there's just a lot of re- different reports about mm-hmm. these types of lizards being seen, even if it wasn't listed as a Mongolian death worm at the time. Exactly. So that's the only thing that leads me to believe that it probably is a lizard that has been um, embellished a tad bit over the years. Yeah, and you don't know. I mean, come on, they're living in the desert. They have to conform to their conditions and evolve. So it could be a really crazy looking lizard that somebody was like, you know, oh my gosh. And then you're right after, you know, century after century, you, you know, you, these stories come down to their generations and it becomes this spiky worm with that's red and spits venom and shocks people, <laughs> you know? So, so what's, what's the main problem that people are having? I mean, where's, where do all these legends come from? I mean, have there been people supposedly killed by it? Has it been something that are people are being, I know there, there was one story I'd heard before where this thing was basically in a cave and somebody went into a cave and they got killed and they had to go down again with a, uh, uh, lantern or something because there was no light in there and then when the guy saw it he was like a, a priest or uh, some kind of clergy of that sort and when he saw the the creature he was petrified of it and all this stuff so i've heard legends of it uh but did you come up with any kind of specifics as far as any certain people that supposedly or any cases specifically or just were they all in general well one guy that was um spending the night in one of the tents because that just sounds awesome in the heat to spend the night in the tent looking for a <laughs> for a snake that's going to probably kill you he did um in fact have some really bad bruises and they don't know if they were bite marks but they were spiky marks um and he <laughs> he fell into a coma but they think that was from a snake's venom but maybe it maybe it's like both. Maybe it's a lizard and a snake, and it's become this weird-looking worm thing. I don't know. I mean, hey, anything's possible, you know? I mean, what do you do? All I know is the, the local shaman, the, Glo- uh, the Gobi tribe leaders, 
they're like warning people don't 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 go out and do this anymore because you're if you disturb it you're going to die this guy happened not to die but he was very close to dying well, I hope one day that they find one of them so I can shove it in your face <laughs> and say, now, now it's not silly, is it? <laughs> I will eat my worms. Did you notice I said worms, not words? I will, I, I will eat them. I don't, Actually, I, I will not eat worms for you, but I will eat my words. I will do that. I'll eat crow. Well, maybe not crow, but I'll say I will. <laughs> but that is, Leslie, the, thanks. That, is the, that is my worm for the night, my whatever that is. Your fear for the week. My fear, fear of the, the week. My fear of the week. Yeah, that was the silliest thing, Jerry. Really? <laughs> well, thanks for sharing your wisdom with us. Well, you're welcome. And uh, I'll see myself out. So what do you think? Are you uh, wanting a Mongolian death worm in your tequila now? No. Well, I don't blame you. Not in my dreams either. <laughs> Anyways, that's uh, um, Leslie Fear with the fear of the week. You can check her out on Amazon and then uh, get some of her books. Now, we've got a quick commercial break, and then we'll be able to listen to Angela and her uh, fascinating stories of Bel Air. So I think you guys are going to like this one. we got some good guests coming up from you guys, too. Um, after this week, I know we've got um, Diane Student from History Goes Bump is going to come on. Mm-hmm. We've got Derek Hayes from Monsters Among Us podcast. He's also on the television show Paranormal Caught on Tape. He's going to come on and uh, several other surprise guests for you. Yay. So real quick commercial break, and then we'll listen to Angela Boley. Hey, guys. We are back and got a cool interview for you tonight. It kind of came about by accident. We've had Angela Boley on before on the show, on the regular show, and she's a psychic artist. She sees things in houses uh, that most of us wouldn't be able to see as far as entities and uh, ghosts and manifestations and so forth. And then she puts them more or less on paper by drawing or painting them. And uh, so we had her on talking about that. Well, I got into a pinch last week for the Patreon episode and I needed somebody to tell a story. And she came on to tell me about a haunted doll that she had acquired, a fascinating story uh, on on. Uh, a couple weeks ago on the Patreon episode. But during the midst of that conversation, after we got off the phone, uh, recording-wise, she was telling me about, you know, Bel Air. And I think the doll, you can correct me later, Angela, if I'm wrong, but I think the doll has a connection to Bel Air, uh, Ohio. And we did the story on the Bel Air house a while. And she grew up in that area, and she was telling me how crazy the entire area was. True crime, hauntings, and all that. So I thought it would be great to bring her on to tell us about Bel Air, so, first of all, thanks for coming back on, Angela. Thank you so much for having me back. I really do appreciate that. As for the Bel Air house, it was been—I think it's been a couple of years now—but I stayed there three nights in the Bel Air house, and I was surprised at where it was located because it's like literally down the road from where I used to live. And. In the Bel Air house, one of the first things that I experienced just in the daylight when I got there, I went upstairs uh, just to walk around, get a feel of the location and the rooms and how big it was. I started going room to room. And the very first room I went to, a bedroom, was a little girl. And, of course, I could see her psychically. Other people cannot. But she looked as real flesh and blood as you and I. And she had a beautiful white frilly dress, a big white hat. And, you know, she was just looking at me. She wouldn't really interact with me, but she seemed quite upset that I was there. 
And uh, later, people were telling me, well, there's this spirit of a five-year-old girl. Well, she's five years old. She's an awful tall five-year-old. She looks like she's about 10 or 12, not five. <laughs> uh, you know, because she was about as tall as I am, and I'm 4'11". I'm not very tall, but I'm as tall as a 12-year-old. I know that. And the next room, I was, you know, towards the back. There's another bedroom. There's a bathroom back there. And then I got growled at, which I'm not impressed. I've been in the haunted houses um, quite a bit and I'm not impressed by growling so they didn't scare me at all and I said well if that's all you have than me that's I'm not terribly impressed <laughs> as far as being intimidated <laughs> I mean, I'm not impressed I've had a lot worse things happen than growling uh, downstairs uh, when the investigation began I was with the group that decided to go to the basement there were uh, there was another medium with me and we were both saw at the same time a little spirit boy in the basement, he had one leg shorter than the other, and he had a little brace on the other leg. You know, back in the day when you had a little um, contraption on your leg, if your legs were uneven, you would try to uh, screw these um, pins so that they would stretch out your leg a little bit so they would be even up at the time you grew. He had that contraction on. We saw him briefly, but when I was down there alone, finally, I saw... And this sort of phantom arm. There were some, you know, mattresses and boxes down there stored. And I seen this arm just raise up. And it looked kind of like a skeletal hand. And I thought, that is the strangest thing I've ever seen. It's just this somebody just raising their hand. I go and I take a look and there's nothing. I move, you know, I even move stuff around. And I, there was nothing that I could account for. I couldn't see what could account for that movement. It, it, and there was no mistaking. It was a hand. It looked very elongated and dried out and um, skeletonized. And the rest of the group came down towards the end of the night, and we caught on camera these waves in the dark. That's the best way I could describe it. If you've ever seen heat on the road and you see sort of like these waves, instead of waves coming like off the floor, these were pulsing and kind of spiraling out of the center of the room. So you see this distortion happening because you do. we did have a light source and you could see the distortion waves flowing around the light source. And upstairs in the attic, we did do the portal, but I wasn't terribly impressed with it. I mean, there's little voices that did come through. Uh, I just got an impression, basically, historically, that that place had been on the Underground Railroad and that the upstairs closet may have been a place to temporarily store of slaves that did not survive the journey and they couldn't just bury them out in the open and, or they'd be caught, so they hid them in the house and buried them later when they could. And towards the end, while I was sleeping or trying to get some sleep, I heard voices just floating in the air above me with just a little snippet of a conversation. I heard a woman say, well, it was terrible what really happened here. And I heard a man said, yes, well, yes, it was. And that's it. That was my entire experience at the Bell Air House. There, it wasn't very active when I was there. there. Of course, what did happen was spectacular. I did have some interesting thing happen. And this is where the doll came in. I actually was at a paracon or a paranormal conference that was there at the casino that's just down the street. And a museum 
was being represented there, and they just collect haunted items, and they're out of West Virginia. And he had quite a few items out. For example, he had an exorcism kit, and he did have a crucifix that was on the wall present when an exorcism was taking place of a person that had to be exercised three times. And it felt like when you touched it, it felt electrical. And I actually bought the doll off of him. And I, 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 thought, I thought it was cute. And it was an old-fashioned doll, clearly old-fashioned, probably goes back to the 1930s. When I first picked it up, I felt pressure on my throat. And I could feel this presence, like, really trying to squeeze my throat. I said, no, you're not allowed to do that. I could tell it was a negative spirit. When I got with it in the car, um, my phone wouldn't work. It, my phone just turned to static I had all, <laughs> until I put the doll in the back seat, And then my phone was fine and could work properly again. So really, that's the connection that the doll has with the Bell Air House, is that the doll was brought to that area near the Bel Air house, and that's where I purchased it and brought it home for me. Now, moving up the street, which where I live is up Route 7, or where I rather where I grew up is up Route 7, so it's in the same area, and that whole area has quite a history. Back in the well, back about 1800s, they started mining clay there, and that was the huge industry at that time. It was the finest clay mines in the world. It was up in East Liverpool, where I'm from, which is just up Route 7, at just a couple miles from the Bel Air location. And, of course, that, old, that place was covered in mines, and eventually the mines did have to shut down because they became unsafe. But over the years, you've had kids disappearing into the mines. You've had houses disappearing because the mines would collapse and the house would collapse right into the mines. And little things, um, things of that nature. But I remember growing up, there was a lot of ghost stories in the area because that history goes way back. For example... There's Gretchen's Lock. There's an area of East Liverpool called Calcutta, and they call it the Tubbs, and it's basically where Beaver Creek is. And Mr. Gill, the Gill family, had built a lock along that creek, intending to make some money, build a mill there. And then it was a different time. They all got malaria, and their youngest daughter, Gretchen, died from malaria. And because it was during the winter, he could not bury her yet. The ground was hard frozen, so he actually stored her in the lock itself. And when they the ground thawed, they finally could bury her. They decided they were going to return to England. However, it, it was passed down to me that the Gill family, the entire Gill family, was drowned because the ship didn't make it and they sunk. And then on stormy nights... Even though the lock isn't there anymore, uh, the little girl was seen walking across the lock where it used to be. So she's floating through the air walking across the lock. There are other stories. For example, there's the Esther Hale story. And, of course, the story that came out in a book that was uh, actually got it all wrong and actually 
made up the whole story, um, completely different from what local folklore was passed down to me. What actually happened with her, she was an elderly lady. Her and her husband had been in the area for many years. Her husband uh, was a merchant at sea, and one day he did not come back. She learned that he had been lost at sea, and she was found hung outside of her home um, with a noose, and it was not known whether somebody else hung her or whether she hung herself from the tree. That's not clear because there wasn't any evidence either way at the time. And at times, and even up um, as recently, you see, the last time I heard about anybody seeing Esther Hill was probably about 10, 15 years ago, uh, where they drive through Beaver Creek and they see a woman in white crossing in front of them. But she has a very floating black hair. She's uh, elderly. She's witch-like looking, people describe her as. And in my own home, my own experience growing up, and, and first let me maybe start with my, uh, the history there as well. Now, East Liverpool is also famous for some true crime. Um, Pretty Boy Floyd, the famous uh, gangster, mm-hmm. he was actually gunned down in East Liverpool. But at the time, it wasn't East Liverpool. It was an area called Westgate. We know where it is locally, but if you went there, Westgate is no longer there. So it's just been incorporated. It's East Liverpool, but it was farmland at the time. And my grandfather actually viewed Pretty Boy Floyd's body at the funeral home where it was displayed there. It was displayed in East Liverpool before he was displayed again in his home state and subsequently buried. So there's a family connection there. And when, you know, later on, um, years down the road, there's a streets that are, you know, houses at that time when they tried to modernize everything, it was kind of fell behind everything. So even as late as the 70s, some of these buildings that are up on Peak Street on some of the hills around East Liverpool still did not have uh, proper indoor plumbing. And you have to use a hand pump to pump your water. And just to give you an idea as how little things kind of change and how slow it changes, because when they lost the pottery industry, you know, they did they'd have some steel industry come in, but one industry after another would sh- shut her up and leave. And that would spiral into depression and poverty and, and drug abuse in that area. And it kind of got into be a, a depressing area. And my father there lived up on Peak Street, and I've been in this house, and the house is no longer there. In fact, that whole neighborhood was taken out because it was sliding down the hill, so this city told everybody to leave it, and they closed it up. But there is, Peak Street is still there. It's just uh, kind of rotted away, and you would have to walk it up, um, but... This little house was probably no bigger than my apartment, and there are eight people living there. A crazy small place, maybe, I would say maybe 900 square feet at the most. And when my father was a boy about five years old, him and his brothers and sisters, they were all working on their different school projects. And my and they played with an Ouija board in between when they're working in school projects. And they were starting asking it questions. Well, they got scooped by the Ouija board, so they put it away. They just quit, and they just went back to doing what they were doing. And my father was picked up 
in the air, just picked up through the air and was badly bitten on the leg and thrown across the room. And whatever it was bit him and growled at him. Uh, and there is more to this story because whatever that was felt like it may have moved out of the house and into a storage shed that my grandfather had built. And this storage shed just looks like a pile of rocks with a door on it. It looks like the Flintstones idea of a storage shed. It's, <laughs> I don't know. I, I was looking at that, like you just have a door and a pile of rocks. It's what it looks like, but you walk into it. It's actually a nice shed on the inside. It just looks like that on the outside. And I didn't even know this story when I first visited that house and I went into the shed area yeah, over to where the washing machine was. And I actually felt like in the corner of the room, something really nasty staring at me. My dad told me later that when they had a big ringer washer machine, now I don't know if you knew about these, they're kind of cast iron heavy and they got the rollers on them. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly. Tracy will tell you a story that she got her her uh, arm caught in one one time. Yeah, my dad got him up, got caught him, <laughs> he got both arms and he got lifted up by one of those. Fortunately, as a little kid, you could... <laughs> You got squishy arms, I guess. <laughs> but anyway, he didn't get hurt. But um, that washing machine, um, they actually found it across the room with a hole, with a kick, like a dent in it. Like something kicked it and threw it across the room hard. And it was on the opposite side of the room on its side. They've had a knock on the door um, when everybody was home alone in the winter night. And my, my aunt went to answer the door. There was nobody there, but there was a single line of footprints that came up to the door, turned around, and then walked through the wall. They had a retaining wall, and they, these footprints went through the wall. And, they, and she said it was a woman's high heel shoes, um, these line of footprints in the dead of winter. Strange things. And um, the fact... It's, it's like that whole area, anybody that passes away, they seem to just stay there and keep moving around. My dad told me a story where, uh, again, this is up on Peak Street. A couple houses from him had burned down, and a little girl, Mary, uh, passed away in that home. She was 12 years old, and my dad was a teenager. And when he was about 16, he's walking down to the bottom of Peak Street because back then there was a Dairy Queen at the bottom. He's walking down to the Dairy Queen and with one of his brothers, and he saw the little girl. He said she looked kind of transparent, and she would appear very close, and then all of a sudden she'd be far away a few seconds later, appearing behind another tree. And as he was going down the hill, she kept laughing, giggling, circling him, and appearing behind trees all the way down the bottom of the hill. And... There's more. <laughs> I keep going. My house. Um, that I, yes. Yeah, keep going. Okay. My house that I grew up in was on St. Clair Avenue, and it was very near Riverview Cemetery. A Riverview Cemetery has its share of ghosts as well. In fact, I I have family members that have taken photos there. One photo has a Civil War soldier in it. It clearly wasn't present when everybody was there because they were just having a picnic for thanking all the volunteers working on that cemetery. And in the background is a Civil War soldier in full uniform, but he's transparent. And he's 
colorless and everybody else is in color. It's a strange looking photograph. And my experience, the only experience that I had there from a haunting, it's so bizarre. It boggles my mind to this day. We were having some bad weather move in and we were just leaving the cemetery. We're going to rush home and go home because I would often go there, go for walks of the cemetery or go fly a kite there. This kind of a, it kind of had a yard area. It was great for kids to run around in. As I was, as we were coming back, I saw a casket out in somebody's yard that's next to the cemetery <laughs> that was, and it was open. And you know how the casket has a, as basically the door is split in two. You have an upper half to display the upper half of the body. Mm-hmm. If you want to, well, just the upper half. And I could see there was an old man in there. And here's this wind and rain and everything moving in. I'm like, who leaves somebody out in a yard like this? And it bothered me so much because I was maybe seven or eight years old when this happened. I asked around, hey, was there any funerals that day? I was looking through the newspapers. I was asking my neighbors. Nobody knew anything about this. And like that must have been some kind of apparition, uh, something that was trying to communicate because I I can't explain it to this day. I I mean, he looked, that casket, everything looked incredibly solid, real. It wasn't ghostly. It was just very bizarre and disturbing to see an open casket as a little kid going by the cemetery while a tornado is heading her way. It doesn't seem like, <laughs> it doesn't seem like a very uh, nice thing to do to your loved ones is, Oh, it's a tornado. Let's leave her, let's leave her loved one out there. It sounds like uh, a, sounds like a deleted tween uh, scene from Twister. <laughs> yes, it does. It does. <laughs> uh, to me, that was spooky because, you know, when the, before a tornado hits, you see the sky change strange colors. It kind of goes green. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it was that kind of stillness before it, it's coming. And it just felt otherworldly. And, and I see that. And it <laughs> made an impression on me. I'm like, oh, my goodness, who would do that to somebody? I, I didn't think ghost, but... Later, I said that it has to be some sort of apparition because nobody else saw it but me. Um, and in my own house, the, the house that I lived in was uh, very demonically infested, and that is on St. Clair Avenue. That place, the very first time we, we moved in there, the very first night, um, I was probably three or four years old, I kept hearing this horrible um voices and they were coming from the wall you know i checked from my parents and everything and they were they couldn't hear it but i could hear it there was like uh, it sounded like mourning to me it sounded like somebody in a lot of grief or a group of people grieving and it went on for like four nights and there was nothing i could explain it but we started seeing at least i started seeing shadow people that would come up through the floor through the come out of the walls and then it started to get more violent we had objects move by themselves and we experienced all of us every single night something walking up our stairs and there's another there's a landing and another set of stairs and then my room so you'd hear them walk all the way up the stairs walk on the landing walk up on the little stairs to my landing stop turn around and go back down and then come back up all night long. And 
these weren't light footsteps. These weren't normal footsteps. It sounded like somebody was trying to break the stairs. Like you're really angry and they're stomping, stomp, stomp, stomp. My dad would get up and, you know, think somebody's in the house. You know, every night for nights at a time, he'd get up, he'd, everything would be different. You know, he'd pick up a bat and then he'd pick up a knife. He'd pick up a bow, he'd pick up whatever he could grab and start looking. He started running out of things to grab, but uh, eventually they just, you know, got used to it. But it was every night for years, going up steps, stopping at my room, turning around, going back down. I started to see apparitions peeking in on me, like these shadow people peeking in on me. I got growled at. I We heard the sound of furniture moving downstairs when everybody is upstairs. Uh, when we're all downstairs, footsteps walking around upstairs, our names getting called. And in particular, I remember it got really dramatic because I had, as a little girl, I had one of those little cheap stereos with a cheap little turntable for little kids. You know, you get yep. those little, and if you remember, they were really simple things. Well, uh, my radio would come on full blast and tune itself up and down the dial, unplug it, and it was still happening. Radio still on. And it's still going up and down the dial. I, I was looking at that and just shaking my head. How could that happen? What I ended up doing was to, I picked up this thing and I ran downstairs to the basement and I grabbed a screwdriver and I took it apart. I'm like, there's no way that could happen on its own. This is such a simple thing. And then I think, oh, did we pay money for this? Look how simple this thing is. I can't believe it. But, <laughs> but whatever it was, no way that you could, uh, that it could turn a dial itself. Um, up and down. Um, we've had the experience where there was um, the bedrooms and the bathroom were all in a row together. They're all kind of facing each other. And those, all those doors were banging and very rapidly open and close, open and close, open and close. It extreme so rapidly you couldn't even see it with your eye. But these doors were just a blur, a movement. And then stop. And crazy. And I got growled at a lot. <laughs> Like I said, I'm not impressed with growls, but I thought, you know, I'll go to a, my cousin's house. Maybe there won't be anything happening there. And I went to another house, um, again, it's still in East Liverpool, and we were all in the basement, and all of a sudden I felt this really heavy, threatening presence. I mean, in my house and in this house, it felt like the same presence. It's really menacing, and I can't not describe it to you how menacing it feels. It feels like something is in the room, and it's going to eat you. It's really intense, really hateful, and you can feel it building in power. Like, it's building energy. Yeah, and, I'm, I'm married. I well, know that feeling. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> and it's... It was bad. Well, you know, I can laugh at it now, but back then, man, it was intense. You could just feel eyes in the back of your head. And we had one of those little uh, toy phones that had the little clapper and the bell. And the only way that the bell would ring is if you moved the phone. Oh, yeah. Because it's a little clapper. Well, we had one of those, and all of a sudden it started ringing by itself without moving. And the phone kept ringing and ringing and ringing. And I knew this thing was wanting my attention. And my other cousins got spooked and immediately ran out of the basement. And I said to it, I don't care how big you are. I'm not going to be afraid of you 
I'm five years old now. I'm a big girl. You're not going to make me scream or run. So just to show it how cool I was, I just walked up the basement steps formally and got out. And I went up to the second flight of stairs to go to the bathroom. And when I stepped into the bathroom, this very large black smoke came out in the pillar um, from the toilet, formed this um, human-like shape with glowing eyes, needle-like teeth, and growled at me a really deep, nasty growl. And that did make me scream, and I ran, and my dad had to stop me because I almost ran in front of the car. And if he hadn't grabbed me, I would have been run over by a car. I was, I took off so scared. Um, but I grew to the point where these, it even followed me. I moved to Cincinnati, and these same entities followed me from East Liverpool. And in fact, when I was a teenager, I came home from school and I just sat down on my bed and my bed shook, violently shook. And I stood up and I said, if you are a demon and you're in here, do that again. I wasn't near the bed and it did it again. It's, um, and it took many years because these entities were attached to me. And it wasn't until three or four years ago that my parish priest when I was confirmed in the Catholic Church, did a minor exorcism, and I was finally free of these things because they were still attached to me. And he can even feel them still attached to me because my very first confession, he, he said to me, he just blurted out, do you know you have demons still attached to, attached to you from childhood? So these things, uh, it's just like that they're in this whole area. And to give you an idea, it, uh, I, it's just so it so, has such a violent history as well, and you can get into some of that true crime. Back in uh, 73, and, you know, of course, this was a year just before I was born. On 759 Dresden Avenue, there was a furniture store. And the way that it was told to me that there was a woman out of town. She was five months pregnant. She's visiting there with her five-year-old daughter, and she was going to look for antiques. And Earl Tweed was the owner of that store. He was an elderly man at the time, and he was known as a very generous and kind person. He'd help people out with their rent and their groceries. And like I said, it's kind of a uh, you know poor area, so he'd help people out. And he was doing a business transaction with her, apparently, and it was sometime in the afternoon. And somebody had come in, or perhaps two people came in, but all of them were murdered with a, the backside of a call hammer a knife, and um, I was told that the little girl was stabbed in the head with a screwdriver, and they were very brutally killed in the afternoon, and the killer ran and was seen by a little boy um, walking down the street, and he, whoever this killer was, um, actually ran up the steps that are on a hillside that lead to some apartments, and he dropped Mr. Tweed's wallet up there. And it was so horrific, the city went ahead and tore down the store mm. and left it as a parking lot. Now, there was a hardware store that was built nearby, but they've pretty much kept it as a parking lot. But it's unsolved till this day, unfortunately. And it's, it boggles my mind that, that you know you have something happening right in broad daylight and you you kind of know where he lives because he dropped the wallet very close to some apartment, so you know he's local, 
And because people out of towners can't run up that hillside easily, if you live there, you know, you can go up that steps no problem if you do them every day. And uh, that poor little boy who's uh, older than me now, um, he's had some horrible, you know, psychological problems um, because they totally threatened him. Um, and they, first, you know, the police did talk to him, but even with having a witness there, this is still unsolved. Mm. And things like that, um, they live such they they leave such a horrible light on the area. I mean, that whole area has had horrible things happen. I had a cousin who um, committed suicide at eight years old. She um, back in the fifties, she actually ran off the school bus and ran into the Ohio River and drowned herself in front of everybody, in front of these, uh, and it, even the adults at the bus stop dove in after her to try to save her, and they couldn't, and they found her the next day. It, it just gives you an idea. It's just how depressed that whole area is. How, you have, how much do you know about that story? Uh, I mean, was what, is there any background to problems that the little girl was having to make her do that or, or do you not know yes there was some i mean her i my understanding is that her father had passed away um sometime before like the year before and there are things that i can't disclose because of the family connections of what was going on in her life but um she had she did say um to her um to one of her friends there i'm not gonna i'm not gonna make it i don't want to live today i'm the, not going to make it home today um, i'm going to kill myself before i make before i go home Sorry. and the other little girl didn't didn't quite understand that she just couldn't grasp it and and it was just horrible um you know that happened and in fact um i remember at a family reunion um somebody had put out um some photographs and there was a photograph of somebody I hadn't seen before and it looked like a smiling little girl and I picked it up and as soon as I picked it up, I felt a sensation of cold, dark water going over me and this horrible, dark depression come over me. And then my dad walked over to me and he says, that picture of that little girl is the is your cousin who uh, committed suicide by drowning herself in the river. And I, I knew it before he told me. Because I could feel cold water, I could feel the depression, I could feel the darkness. And you know, I feel like her soul is released because you know, I felt like I, I needed to pray for her in purgatory that she would be released into heaven for um, because of this suicide. And I don't feel like it really was her fault and that she, uh, she just had so much to deal with that she couldn't deal with it. It's just too much for a little girl sometimes. Do you, you have a lot of, um, you know... It, not a whole lot of support in your family. And when, it, you know, coming from a background of, a, of poverty, it creates a lot of pressures and, and heartache and suffering that you, that's just, you wouldn't normally be there. It's a very sad story. Angela, it's always fun having you on. You're one of my favorite guests. I absolutely love listening to your story. And, you know, we talked uh, a little bit about the haunted doll, the, the story that you told, and I'm going to put that interview up or the, the story you told right after this one so people listening will actually know what we were talking about i don't want to short them and not let them not you know tease something and them not hear it so i'm going to put that up right after this one so they can hear that story too because that's another amazing story uh, why don't you tell everybody how they can kind of find some of your artwork and catch up with you sure absolutely i have a website that you can go to 
It is um, Angela Boley. Um, let me get to, let me get to it here. <laughs> let me get to the actual website just a moment because I want to pull it up and make sure I don't mix it up, mispronounce it. But it's Angela Boley Portrait A Wix dot com, and you can also see me on Facebook too. It's uh, Facebook. In Facebook, I'm just Angela Boley, portrait artist, and I think I've sent you a link to my website before. You did. I'll, I'll, I'll snag it and put it back on the page so everybody can find it easy. And, of course, I'll go ahead and put post that um, painting I did of the spirit attached to the doll. I, I posted it on the, on the Hillbilly Horror Stories Facebook group, but I don't think I posted it on my website yet, so I'll probably do that shortly. But there's there's many more stories. There's um, in that area. There's a blue lady of Thompson Park that's supposedly um, an elderly couple had an argument, and, and the husband threw the wife in the pool and she drowned, and so she haunts that area. There's a couple of hotels um, that have had a lot of passing away and hauntings, and there is a very famous brewery on Webb Street that um, actually Weber Street that's been around in 1889 closed in 1950 has been closed since 1950 but people still hear the elevators operating when the elevators were torn out back in the 50s hmm. and people walking around and talking and um, there's just so much there um, and recently um, East Liverpool is kind of going in cosmetic change some of those buildings are being fixed up you can go in and see original gaslight fixtures. You can see radios from the 30s that are still sitting around and working um, because it, it's, it's, it's like some of the part of the town is like frozen in time. It's the best way you can describe it. It seems kind of eerie and abandoned and other times it seems um, revitalized, but it always has a strong connection with the past. And you can especially see that in the ghost stories and in the cemeteries and you can walk around and experience so much there of the past and especially if you keep your eyes open i wouldn't be surprised if some of the people you're seeing are not actually people but are spirits walking around you're just a, a regular uh, tour agent for the city <laughs> <laughs> director I, of tourism i think so i mean my family has such a strong connection i mean we were all all of our family had uh, had a role in the pottery business so um and for you know over a hundred years, uh, so it, it's there's a strong connection there, and um, it, it it goes back hundreds of years for me. And there's you know plus I have family buried in all the cemeteries in these Liverpool. There's three of them, and that go back uh, two hundred some years. So it's, there's a lot of history, and it's a lot of it's passed down to me. Um, but I'm also very you know, glad that we are a part of that history and I get to share it because, it, I mean, East Liverpool still is, is very significant in history. It was the first, it's where the whole United States was mapped up from. That was the starting point where the whole nation was mapped up from. And the marker for the starting point is in East Liverpool near Weber Street. Interesting. Yes. Angela, thanks so much for coming on. Looking forward to having you on at a future date. Fantastic. Looking forward to that as well. Thank you so much. So we have a uh, previous guest on the show. This is uh, Angela Bully. Angela was on the regular show a little while back where she talked about um, she's a psychic artist. So she used to paint 
some of the images that she would see when she would be, you know, doing an investigation in a house or just happened to be in a house that had a spirit, she would paint what she saw in the spirits. Thanks for coming back on with us, Angela, because you have a story of a haunted artifact that you now own. Yes, I do. In fact, I purchased it near the Bel Air house when I was staying there for a couple of nights from another collector who runs a haunted museum. And I was very curious about it. I bought it with the intention of trying to understand what it's like to have a haunted object in my home for research purposes for whenever I go and do investigations to help me determine whether or not a place is haunted versus a haunted object. But it was a very aggressive spirit. The first time I got it, this looks like a very innocuous-looking doll. It's kind of cute. It's believed to be a reproduction Kessler doll, so it's designed to be very cute. It has a German influence, and Kessler was very popular back in the 1800s for realistic wooden dolls. It has got a little bonnet, and it's got a little dress on. It's very cute. However, when I I picked it up, the very first thing that I experienced was a sensation of pressure on my throat. It literally felt like something was squeezing my throat, and I could feel that this thing was aggressive, so I immediately put it down, and I said, no, you can't do this to me. When I went to take it home, I actually put it next to my cell phone, and my cell phone would not work to the doll. It would actually was producing static interference on my cell phone, which I've never had before. I couldn't get anything to work with my phone until I took the doll from the front seat and moved it all the way to the back of the car, and then the phone was working fine, and I could you know, go home at that point. When I got it home, and I was tired the next day, I set the doll up on the shelf, and I woke up, and there was an apparition standing over me, but I mean, this was a floating... Head, and it was just the top half of a skull that was very gray and dirty looking and had long black floating hair. It looked really aggressive and it had a very aggressive presence. It was almost, I would say, very menacing. I told it to get out and I actually grabbed the doll and I set it outside on my back balcony for a while and told it to stay outside. And I even have some blessed salt with me and I actually put a little barrier so that it couldn't get back in. It was hanging out outside. But later on, I went back outside to just take a look at the doll, and I sat down in the chair, and I think, well, this thing is can't be all that aggressive now. I'll just put blessed salt around it, and I'll be fine. So I did that, and I'm on the table. I put a little bit of ring of blessed salt around it, and I fell asleep in the chair on the back balcony. And then when I woke up, I was covered in bite burps. From my neck down to my waist, completely covered in bite marks, and they were bloody, and they were raw, but I didn't feel anything biting me while I was sleeping there. Um, Then at night, the first time I had it in the house, I had horrific nightmares. It was just unbelievably violent, and the same entity was appearing in my nightmares that I had saw earlier, the same apparition. It was extremely aggressive. It had an overwhelming depression that came with it. And it, the dreams kept progressively getting more and more violent. It had images of a train wreck of some kind, a lot of um, um, bodies, body parts everywhere, fire. 
crazy violence. And then I looked at the apparition in my dream and said, I love you. I love, I only have love. And it was like it, it didn't have any power anymore. And it didn't know what to do. <laughs> and it, it kind of backed off. And then I woke up from that thinking, well, I don't want to have these nightmares anymore. What am I going to do with this? So I resolved to store it outside storage with the ring of salt around it for a while. And I started to take it out of storage, started looking at it more recently, more closely, getting the history of this doll. It just, it just gives me the impression, and I get the name off of it, uh, um, Olivia was the name I was getting with it. And it, I just had the impression that maybe the person that had the doll had, may have been witness to their family being in a fatality situation, perhaps a train wreck as it was in the dream, uh, something of that nature. And then being a lone survivor, traumatized, ended up in a mental institution. But this would have been back in the 30s. And, you know, the quality of mental health care at that time was non-existent. These were just another, you know, essentially torturing institutions so you just added more suffering to this person i thought maybe this was just some sort of what they call a topa it's a thought form it's this person's negativity this person's suffering that is it's taken its own personality attack but the only response that i get back when i use evps with this if i'm praying or saying something holy like i'm saying the saint michael's prayer it'll start growling it'll start saying things like dirty foul um, say some very nasty things about you know, any responses to the words Jesus, St. Michael, Mary, and so forth. So I'm getting more of the person that is more demonic in nature. And I did further tests. Somebody had mentioned that some of these stains look like blood. And I was looking at them, and I think these are coffee stains. I don't think this is blood stains. Um, this doll, I'm believing it's from the 30s. So I know it's old. That's about all I know. And the stains on it um, may well just be coffee. I can't imagine them ever being blood. But I am a deer hunter, and I do have access to luminol, which you use luminol at low light conditions to track a deer that's been hit so you can track the blood. So I had the luminol. I did a luminol test first. I had nothing. I saw nothing. Nothing came out of it. But I waited longer and longer to let that mixture soak in and start to mix with whatever is on the doll. Here, there are several small stains that actually tested positive for blood. And the large stains on the side, they're something else. They're not blood, but there are many splattering of blood. According to the luminal test, that is all over this doll, over the head, all over the top of the dress and the center that are like high speed like it was just sprayed on there either from like somebody had a bloody nose and sneeze or like maybe from a bullet and you know blood traveling through a body creates a blood spray um, i know this from deer hunting i've seen all sorts of type of blood spray from both bullet and from an arrow anything high speed generates a kind of a spray a spatter effect if you will so I'm not sure how that blood got on there, but it's still an extremely aggressive spirit. I can't have it in the room for very long with myself, or it drains my energy. I can feel it draining my life force, and I start to get very lightheaded and tired, and I have to go and run and put it in the car, shut the door, come back, and it's all right again. 
it has been manifesting when it's left alone overnight, these smaller blood stains produce a black powder that appears to be old, dried, black blood. Because when blood ages, it tends to get darker and it looks almost black. It becomes a little clotted and powdery, and this is what it looks like. It actually produces more of it when it's left alone. I still have nightmares from it every once in a while if I've had it in my um, presence at some point. Even when it's at work, I will sometimes have nightmares about it trying to reach out to me. Um, but I'm able to make it back down. And it now it seems like we have a, an understanding, but it is very aggressive. It's incredibly demonic. At one point, um, while I was at work and I had it sitting at work, because I feel that's a safer place to store it, actually came up across on the EVP, choke heart, and I felt something grab my chest and reach into my chest and grab my heart and it felt like something squeezing my heart and i said no you are not allowed to touch me or do this and then it backed off and it stopped immediately as soon as i finished saying that uh, so olivia is the name of the entity i feel but it, it seems more demonic it does not seem like something that's left over from somebody it seems to be its own entity so have you had an opportunity to paint what this entity looks like? I have not, but I plan to do it shortly this weekend um, because it is very startling to look at. And you can see I'm going to be posting it once I do paint it. And you can see what I've been dealing with. It is very startling to look at because it's just the top half of a skull that looks gray, uh, dirty, and has uh, kind of a glow in the eye sockets, and then the hair is just black and wavy. It floats in the air. It's very disturbing. Well, I can't wait to see the picture. Make sure you send it to us when you get it on uh, canvas. Absolutely. Now, with it um, having a little bit of blood spatter, kind of puts me in a, in a tough situation because we in the, in the Catholic faith, which you probably are familiar with, and we have to be careful about human dignity. And that would mean if this is human blood, it would probably at some point have to be buried in sacred ground um, just, to, just to give it but. I don't know at this point because it, it's a valuable research tool me has taught me a lot about haunted objects and how they might affect somebody but at the same time i want to also make sure it doesn't hurt anybody else too understandable angela thank you for coming on on such short notice and telling us a story absolutely i was glad to do so it's angela boley the psychic artist she's always fun to have on mm-hmm and she's got some really freaky pictures out there, too. <laughs> Shit, that she does. <laughs> so anyways, um, just wanted to basically wish everybody, again, a Merry Christmas. Thank you so much. Uh, we appreciate everything you do for us as we come up on the end of the year now. As a matter of fact, this will be, um, we got one more episode left this year this for Sunday, and then we've got another year in the books. Yeah, thank you guys for all your support and all your kind words and just always being there for us we really appreciate it more than you ever know yeah absolutely thank you guys so much and we'll talk to you soon merry christmas